everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today, and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nbplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. Father, at the end of the service, I'm going to give, we have our team here uh, outside. They're going to give every father a little can of shavings, shaving cream. And so we want every single father Amen. Uh, I didn't say a man. I said a father. Um, to get one of these, and we just want to bless you, just to have as a reminder of this special day to all of our fathers. Uh, the reason why we, we decided to speak on, on the barbershop, and by the way, by the way, we had the blessing today of having my brother Miguel and, and his associate to be with us first service and now second service. Um, he is a dear friend of the family of us, my wife and my family, and I know him for years. He has, he's the owner of a barbershop called Head Cutters in Orange Avenue. So if you are looking for a barber, I highly recommend this brother, and his business is phenomenal, do a great work. Not only have they done this here, but at the church we were from, Iglesia El Calvario, when we used to do outreach, he and his guys, and some of them, uh, you know, they, they love Jesus, but they don't serve him, and he would bring them, and they would give haircuts to, to the poor and the hurting, and, and when we have our back-to-school rallies, he would cut hair for the kids. Who don't. So this guy has, he has a business, but he uses it to advance the kingdom, and so I'm just so thankful that he's here. So give God a hand, praise for Brother Miguel, his family that are here as well, amen. And, uh, and if you need a barbershop, I highly recommend it, head cutters, Google it, Orange Avenue, off the hook. Give him my name, and um, he'll tie it to our church. Amen? Amen. All right, now, <clears throat> why, why, did I pick, why did I pick the concept of a barbershop? Why the barbershop? And, 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 and men, I, I need you all to be honest and transparent with me. Why? Because some of us aren't rich. Some of us aren't rich. Um, you know, every rich person has, or well-off person has, what they call a man cave. A man cave. A man cave is a part of the house, whether it's a basement if you lived up north, or, or a big room where you put a pool table, and you put a ping pong table, and you have a big TV and couches, and, and it's where you hang out with the fellas, and that's your getaway space. That's your man cave. And so for those of us who can't afford a man cave, the barbershop is my man cave. Because everything that happens in a man cave happens in a barbershop. Everything. And so a barbershop is compatible to a man cave. Every barbershop has this. Every barbershop has music, right? So if you go to a Dominican barbershop, right? If you go to a Puerto Rican barbershop, right? If you go to one of those, you know, urban barbershops, right? So it depends. It depends the type of environment you want to go. You look for the barbershop suitable to you, right? So if you are Dominican, you're going to get bachata and merengue the entire experience. If you're Puerto Rican, you're going to get reggaeton and salsa. If you're you know, from up north, Midwest, if you're um, black, or, you know, you're going to get the, the urban, the jazz, the hip-hop. That's, 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 that's us. That's how it is, right? Every barbershop has music. So every time, every time I go to the barbershop, I am predisposed to uh, coming to, to this, I'm going to hear me some music. 
Every barbershop has music. Every barbershop has a TV, right? Every barbershop, there's a TV. And in the TV, you're watching all kinds of stuff, and you don't really hear what's the sound of the TV because there's so much ruckus and there's so much noise and so much music going on. That, but, but, but there's a TV there, just like a man cave, TV. Every barbershop has other men. You're not the only guy there. You're surrounded by all kinds of men, good-looking men, not-so-good-looking men. You have proper men. You have not-so-proper. You have team. All sorts of men come together at this place called the barbershop. Here's another thing that happens in barbershops. We have, we have guys, we have manly conversations. There's some things that we men, we talk about in the barbershop that we don't talk about in our kitchen table. It just, it just doesn't happen. There's some conversations we talk in a barbershop that we don't talk anywhere else. We have conversation, poli poli you know, pol politics. We talk about politics. Whether you're from the left, from the right, from the middle, whether you're extreme, you know, we talk about the wall, we talk about, we, we, I mean, we talk about everything when it comes to politics. We talk about money. We talk about NBA players. Oh my God, you saw that, yo, Golden State laws, it's crazy about time. We, we talk about everything. We even talk about women. Okay, what do you think? Can we put that music, little soundtrack back? This is the barbershop. We gotta have music. We talk about women. We we tell jokes at the barbershop. Let me tell you, some of the funniest jokes I've heard in my life has been in barbershops. And you sit there and you're just listening to jokes and humors and you're talking about sports. You, you, I mean, and then, but one of, one of my best experiences is when, have you ever seen when you got in a barbershop when one barber is debating with another barber about an issue and you're just sitting there and they're just snapping at each other and they're talking about each other and, and no, but that's not how it was and they're debating about a movie or about a singer and, and you, you're just there. Literally, you're entertained for literally, for literally about an hour and a half. You're there, if you're like me. Because I, I like to get there early. I like to be on time. And you're there and you're sitting. And you're, you're just being entertained by the music, by the television, by other men, having manly conversations, right? Talking about all kinds of things. Watching the barbers debate amongst each other. And those are all experiences that happen when we go to the barbershop. Now, why do we go to the barbershop? All right. Right, that's, that's exactly why we go to the barbershop. We go to, can, I re, can we get the soundtrack, please? Wh wh why do we go to the barbershop? To get a cut. To get a cut. We go to get a cut. Now, getting a haircut is why we go to the barbershop, but all these things I told you are the effects of the reason why you go to the barbershop. I go for a cut, but I hear music. I go to cut. I watch TV. I go to cut. I hear other men. I go to a cut. We tell jokes. I go, I go for a cut. That's why I'm going. But because I go for a cut, all of these other things happen as a byproduct of the reason why I go for my cut. Now, here's what's crazy about a haircut. When I go to my barber, there was a season in my life, and I would say maybe from last year, maybe about six, seven years, where, where people thought that I literally went bald because I, I would shave my hair bald. And uh, I like the baldy look. And so I, 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 would, I would do the bald look. But it wasn't until last year that I started letting my hair grow again, right? And, and here's what's cool about a barbershop. That I hadn't gone to the barbershop in like five, six years. And when I went back to the barbershop, I noticed 
that a lot of things were still the same. Now, let me say this. There's a difference. Listen to me, guys. And maybe, woman, you might understand this, but there's a difference between a unisex salon stylist and a barber. Let me just say that. One thing is a stylist, a hairstylist. A hairstylist is not a barber. A hairstylist is not a barber. I want y'all to know that. Don't ever tell me, I pass that, I'm going to supercuts. You're not going to a barber shop. You're going to a stylist. Supercuts is not a barber shop. Okay? I remember, I, listen, be, listen. When, before, I met, before I married my wife, uh, believe it or not, believe it or not, before I married my wife, I used to blow out my hair. I used to blow out my hair, right? And I remember the first, my first haircut experience was not at a barbershop. My first haircut experience was at a salon. A lady, a Dominican lady in 183rd and Jerome, I went in there looking for a haircut. The sign said haircuts, and when I go in, I saw women. And this lady... You know, she was like, oh, come on, sit on the chair. She said, and, and she started giving me a haircut. And then she took out a blower, and she was blowing. I, I, I looked like, like back in the days, I, mean, I looked like crazy. She, I had a DA, right? It was a DZ. It wasn't an A. It was a DZ. I, I had a DA, and I had it blown up back. And, and as a stylist, she cut my hair like a stylist. So I remember when I, when I would come out at the end like this, all looking all cute, and, and, and you know, and I walk out, and I was like, yeah, uh-huh. But the thing was, the thing was that stylist, a female stylist, cuts my hair like a woman. She cuts my hair from a woman's perspective. But I'm a man. Ain't nobody know how to cut my hair better than a man. Because women, listen, women, when you do your hair, you do it, from a feministic point of view. You're thinking about, oh, yeah, I'm going to blow it out today, but then tomorrow I'm going to do extension. And, 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 and this whole process. Us men, when we wake up, we ain't got time to be blowing out our hair. We ain't got time to talk about, oh, it doesn't look good and the angle is off. And no, no, no. We want to wake up, brush twice to the right, one to the left, and out the door. We're, we're quick. We're quick. Some of you guys are bougie, you know, but that's, that's another sermon. And so she would do my hair real nice, but then the thing is, two days later, after I leave the salon and I look myself in the mirror, my hair does not look nothing like when she did it. Because, because she did it with a woman's touch. But when you go to a barber, it's a rugged feel. You know, come here, man, sit down. And black. Turn around. Get out of here, go. And then I'm ready to go. It's a different perspective. There's something about men Cutting men's hair that makes me feel confident putting my hair in the hands of another man. And, and this goes as far back as the Bible. Because last I read the Bible, there was a man who put his hair in the hands of a woman, a stylist by the name of Delilah. And she jacked up his head. I'm talking about he was, she jacked. She jaked the brother. She cut his hair. He was bald. He was so ugly in the haircut that he lost his anointing. Have you ever had an ugly haircut that it kills your anointing? Have you ever had an ugly haircut that nobody want to hang out with you? Have you ever had an ugly haircut that even Jesus and the Holy Ghost, now, no, time I ain't, I ain't in this one. 
His car was so ugly, the Holy Spirit left him. He lost his power. So, so, but there's something about men, a barber. Even, even the name barber sounds more, more confident, a barber. Hairstylist. Barber. Where are you going? To the stylist. Where are you going? I'm going to the barber. It just, it just put that numbs into it, right? Now, what's the distinction between a barber and a stylist? The, the, the machines they use. A stylist has, what do you see? A stylist works with scissors. A barber works with clippers. Right? A stylist. A barber ain't got time for all this stuff. A barber, a barber just simply goes. shaving and he's and he's there and he's there and he's there he's not he's not focused on impressing he's focused on getting the job done right it's his job he's trained to cut with clippers and so a barber can employ the clippers to a point of finish let me tell you fellas have you ever had a, a I'm talking about a good haircut in the hands of a good barber to the point that you fall asleep and saliva is coming out of your and your neck is, you know, listen, you know you're in the hands of a great barber when you don't worry about how you're going to look, right? When I go to the barber, here's what's crazy. When I go to the barber, I know exactly how I'm going to look. It doesn't matter if it's raining. It doesn't matter if it's cloudy. It doesn't matter. When I go to the barber, and, I, and, and sometimes I go, you know, I, I, I go, my hair's a mess and I'm not all that. But every time I go to the barber, it's because I know exactly how I'm going to come out. I know exactly. I have no fear. And, 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 and it's crazy to the point that now when I sit at the barber shop and I sit in the, in the stool, I could be on my phone texting leaders, talking to my wife. I could be watching the television, laughing at other jokes. I could be listening to the music. I could be looking at everything that's happening and not worry about how my hair is going to look because I know in the hands my hair is in because I've been there so long that I trust my barber. I trust my barber. I trust my barber. And so, for you fathers that are here today, it's important that we become that to our children. That we can come, become the type of parents and fathers that when our children come to sit at the chair of our lives, that they know that what they're going to get from us is consistency. It's consistent. Unwavering love. Unwavering care. Unwavering love. Let me tell you something. If you're having struggles relating with your children, because some of us, some of us, some of y'all, you know, you, you, 
perhaps you were great, raised in an atmosphere where you don't have your dad and you don't have your mom and you just, you just had to, you know, well, like we say, thug it out in life and you had to do the best you could with what you have and, and you, had, you, had, you had a father who was there, uh, you know, biologically but not there physically. And so you have no point of reference as to what a father is. Let me tell you something, how, how something as simple as a barbershop can be a place for you to start creating culture in your children. And, 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 and I say this because, I say this because we're living in a world where fathers don't know how to be fathers. We don't know how to be fathers. Fathers don't know how to be fathers if they hadn't had a good father figure in their past. But when you look at what happens in a barbershop, those are types of values that you should apply in parenting your children. One, consistency. Two, there's no change. My barbershop, I've, I've been going to that barbershop, I don't know how many years now. I don't want to exaggerate, but I've been going to that barbershop for so many years. And you know, you know, you know in the past five, seven, eight years, culture has changed. New songs come out, new cell phones come out. Everything changes. New clothes come out. New cars come out. But here's what's crazy. The, everything in the barbershop today was there the first time I went to the barbershop. Nothing's changed. They have the same TV. When I first went to the barbershop seven, eight years ago, it's the same TV. They have the same color on the walls. They have the same decor. Nothing, everything is virtually identical. He was crazy. Two, three months ago, we went to New York. And in New York, there was a barbershop I used to go to in 183rd in Jerome. And, and, and my hair was, was, was a mess. And so I go to the barbershop. When I went to that barbershop, it was the same barber sitting, get, cutting hair on the same chair. The walls were painted by this, with the same color. They, they, as a matter of fact, the broom was the same one. What does that speak to us? Consistency. So if the rug doesn't change and the wall doesn't change and the seat isn't changing and the barber is the same, that means my cut is going to be the same. It's, it's a message that says everything around you might be changing. Culture might be shifting. Everything might be changing. And when you apply that to the God that you serve, he said, I do not change. I'm the same yesterday. I'm the same today. And I'm the same forevermore. And if you live in me and I live in you, even if your world is changing, I, because I don't change, have the power to change you as you submit yourself to me. The barber doesn't change. Yet when I sit at the barber's chair, I change. The barber doesn't change. Yet when I put my head and my hair in the hands of a barber, he changes me. So fathers, parents, let me tell you something. I want to encourage you to start fostering an environment that produces consistency. That produces godly values in the life of your offspring. And this is a challenge, men. And this is the challenge, fathers. That we don't replicate the circle and the cycle. That we understand, just like a good barber is in the business of making sure that his client looks good. Just like a good barber wants to make sure that he leaves out of that chair. Saying, man, this guy did it again. I'm coming back in two weeks. Listen, my barber, my barber, my barber loves me. My barber loves me. I'm going to say it again. My barber loves me.
because I tip good. I pay him double the haircut. If a haircut is $15, I always give him 30. So it doesn't matter who he has to cut hair. Once he sees Pastor Gabby on the phone, he's going to take care of me because I tip good. Now, why do I tip him good? I tip him good because he treats me good. I tip him. I give him double the amount of the haircut cost because I like the service, because he cares for me, because he treats me well. And literally, literally, I can call. I can call in right now and say, Jeff, I need a haircut at 3 o'clock. He's going to move everything in his schedule to put me in his, in his schedule. Why? Because there's, a, there's an element of you treat me well, you do me well, I'm going to service you great. Listen to me, children. Listen to me, fathers. Everything you do well in the life of your children will come back with reward down the road. Everything you do towards your children, every good deed, every I love you, you tell your child right now, in the end, will have its reward. But you cannot, you cannot expect to get a good tip for poor service. You cannot expect to get affection when you're not planting seeds of love. You cannot expect to, to see your children and your great-grandchildren and your grandchildren come to you and want to visit grandpa when you're 70 and 80 when you haven't sowed a seed of love today. So there's an element of I have to understand my role. And here's what's crazy. I see church like a barbershop. We all come to church jacked up. You remember when you first came to church? Spiritually, your hair was a mess. You looked so bad, you had hairs coming out your nose, coming out your ears. I mean, I was just crazy. And God received you just as jacked up as you was, and he started trimming things out of you and shaping things in you and making you look more like who he intended you to be. That's why the church is a picture of what family is supposed to look like. And that's why when I look at how God, the Father, treats us, his spiritual children, then I have to say, God, okay, how can I reciprocate that into my generation, into my children, into my offspring? How do I, how do, I do that? Well, the first thing I want to lay to you is understand this, that God is your Father. And then when you, when you understand that, then you have to ask yourself, how does God treat me? How does God, my father, treat me? Because if he's my father, and I am supposed to be like my father, well then, what do I need to look at him do to me so that I can in turn do to my offspring? How do I do this? How do I do it, fathers? Do you know what's the greatest need in society? The greatest need in society is for fathers to rise up and assume their God-given role of responsibility in the family. That's our role. That's my job. That's my, that's my, not my wife, that's not my, my, uh, my grandpa, my father. My job as a father is to become a role model of God in my home. My job as a, so that when my kids leave the seat of my life, when my kids 
get married and live happily ever after. They can leave with traditions. Some non-negotiables. So let me ask you this. What are the characteristics or the traits of a godly man and of a godly father? I'm going to give you four. There's so many more. I'll give you four and then I'll close. A godly father loves God. A godly father loves God. You cannot be a godly man if you don't love God. Coming to church doesn't make us godly. Is loving our God. And there's something about loving God that has such a powerful effect in our lives that we begin to be like him, to walk like him, to talk like him, and he begins to shape us and make us look like he wants us to look. But imagine if I tell the barber, 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 Miguel, I, I, I want you to cut my hair. And then when it's the day to get a haircut, I don't show up. And 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 I don't show up. He will never have the capacity to make me look how I ought to look. But there's got to be an element of understanding. I love God to the point, listen to me, I love God to the point that I am willing to put my life in his hands and have him work in me. Guys, guys, have you ever gotten a haircut with a barber and, and, and the blade kind of like cut you a little? Like, ugh. And, 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 you don't, and you don't get off the chair. Why? Because it's still, you're still in the process. You're not angry at the barber. You're just in your process. Sometimes when you sit in the, in, the, in the hands of God and you put yourself in God's hands, sometimes you're going to go through some turmoil and some heartache and some challenges, but stay on the chair. At the end of the day, when you look yourself in the mirror, it's going to be worthwhile. And this is important because as a father, you have to show your children the importance of tenacity. A godly father loves God. I love God. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your might. Look what the Bible says about making God first. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, look what it says. We're talking about a godly father loves God. The Bible says, but seek first his kingdom. We're talking about love. Talking about love. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When you love God, you make God first. When you love God, how do I know you love God? When God is number one in all your choices. How do I know you love God? Because God is always a part of the decision. How do you know I love my wife? Because in every, everywhere I go, look at my, look at my profile. Every picture I'm, I'm at, I take, booze right there. She's a part of everything I do. She's a part of everywhere I go. It, 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 there's no doubt in anybody's mind 
that I love her and she loves me. We're in every picture together. We're in every story together. We're in every caption together. It's her and I. It's her and I. It's her and I. And, and, and I don't have to be saying, I love you. You love me. The fact that you see us together is a message of love. So when you say you love God, Father, when you say you love God, church, my question to you is, so where is he? Is he with you at the workplace? Is he with you at the house? Is he with you in the business? Is he with you? If, he's, if you make God first, he says, I'll give you everything, but you got to make me first. He says, seek the kingdom of God first. And everything else. See how good he is? Look what a haircut does. That dude never speaks in my sermon. Now he's speaking and praising the Lord. That's what a good haircut does. I'm going to have to have him get a cut every Sunday. He can praise the Lord every Sunday. Seeking God first. This is the basis upon which happiness is built and priorities are made in relationships. If you don't have the right relationship with God, it is pointless to think you can relate properly with others. If you don't have a relationship with God, it is impossible for you to have a relationship with anybody else. It's difficult. If you're running from God, you're, gonna never have, you're never going to have peace. If you're running from God, you will never have peace. So that's why I'm here to submit to you that a godly father, a godly father loves God first. Loves God first. Number two, a godly father, here's another one, loves his children. I got to tie my shoes. He loves his children. A godly father doesn't just love God because sometimes we're good at loving God. Oh, I love you, Jesus. <laughs> but you don't love your children. We're so quick to say, God, I love you. It's so difficult for us to say, John, I love you, bro. Gabby, I love you. Now, why is it easy to love your children? When you love God first. Everyone who has the capacity of loving God has the capacity of loving others. But when it's hard for you to love others, then I have to question your love with God. He said, in this you know that you are my disciples. This is how, this is how you know. He didn't say, in this you know you're Christians. He said, in this you know you're my disciples. That you love God and you love other people. That you love other people. So a godly father... Loves his children. Now, here's the deal. Listen, there are, different, there are different types or aspects of love. One of them is giving, right? Giving is, is an expression of love. For God so loved the world that he gave. But giving is not the totality of love. And sometimes we're good at giving things to our children. The new phone, the new iPad, the new gadgets. Yet we are, it's challenging for us sometimes to give love. To give, listen, I don't remember. I don't remember the first toy my father bought me. And, and, and listen, and my father bought me many toys. I don't, I can't tell you the first toy he bought me was this. I don't remember. I don't remember the first time my father took me out to Mickey D's, and he took me out to Mickey D's. 
do remember the first time he told me he loved me. I do remember the first time he gave me a hug and a kiss. And sometimes we get so caught up in, but I bought you this, and I bought you sneakers, and you got the 11s, and you got the 13s, and you got the 4s, and you got the Jordans, and you got the Kobe's, and you got the LeBron, but I don't got you. I don't got you. I don't got daddy. And you cannot substitute the love of a father between a son with a pair of sneakers. You can't substitute the love of a father towards a son with the latest gadget. I would rather you not buy me sneakers, and this is all perspective. I would rather you not buy me sneakers than you tell me you love me. Tell me, no, no, give me the sneakers first. Then tell me you love me. A godly father loves his children. A godly father loves his children. Love is more than provision of material things. Listen to me, Father. Don't miss your children's childhood. You know why? Because it will never come back again. Your three-year-old will never be three years old again. Your seven-year-old will never be seven again. Your 18-year-old, and I know, I know, guys, when our kids get 13, 14, 15, we just want to hit them with irons and, and, and the stoves. But they will never be 13, 14, 15-year-olds again. Once the time is gone, the time is gone, church. So don't let their childhood pass by. Here's another thing. Don't only communicate physically with them when you're going to discipline them alone. Some of our kids... When they see us coming toward us, here's, here, here's what they do. They get stiff because they feel like, I'm going to get hit right now. Some of us, when our kids see us, they're, they're already preconditioned. He's coming to towards me, it's going to hit me. He's coming toward me, let me get strength so I don't feel the belt whip. He, he's coming to me, let me get tough so I don't, hear the, I don't feel the punch. Some of our kids, the only time we touch them is to hurt them, to hit them. And let me tell you, listen, let me tell you, I believe in correction. I believe it because, boy, I got it. I got it. And I've given it, too. And I've given it. But I think it's got to be a check and balance. Okay, for every, for every correction you do physically, there's got to be a correction and affection verbally. There's got to be a balance. Your kid's experience of your touch cannot be just violence. And hurting and hitting. There's got to be an element of, of I'm going to discipline. Listen, discipline is not whipping. Discipline is loving. Look what the Bible says. The God said, he, God, he who he loves, he who the son he loves, he will chastise. But notice the word. The key word in that verse is not chastise. The word chastise is whip. The word, the key word is not chastise. The key word is love. Love. Now, what happens, what happens when your only point of reference of your children of you is physical? Look what happens. We tarnish the image of God in our children. And that's why the Bible says in Colossians chapter 321, he talks to the fathers. He says, fathers, do not embitter your children. They will become discouraged. Fathers, 
Don't beat them up with anger. Don't beat them down because of anger. Children interpret time spent with them as love. But if all you do is spend time to hit and hit and hit and hit and hit, what they're interpreting is my father is the equivalent of pain, of hurting, of abuse and torture. Therefore, I don't want to be around my father. So God says, if you want to be a godly father, love me. Second step. You want to be a godly father? Love children. But pastor, I have no father. Well, you got a heavenly father. And every time you mess up on your heavenly father, he don't, when was the last time God whipped you? He put you in a corner. Turn around. Put your pants down. Look to the wall. When, when, when was that? And every Sunday you come, Lord, forgive me, Lord. I'm so sorry. And he forgives you. And you leave restored. And you live forgiven. And you leave transformed. And why can't you do that to the son biologically when your heavenly father does it to us every single day of the week? So that's why when, when I love God, I become a, a godly man and a godly father. And then I can love my children in the proportion that God has loved me. So a godly father loves God. A godly father loves his children. Number three, a godly father is a man of integrity. Integral. Constant. Is a man that is just. A man that walks righteous. And these words in today, these are curse words. Integrity. Righteousness. Truth. These are not popular words nowadays. But we have to be people of integrity. That who we are here, we're home. That who we are home, we're at work. That we do not waver and fluctuate and change and shift. Because things shift, just like a barbershop. You go to the barbershop, it'll be the same chair, it'll be the same walls color, it'll be the same mirrors, it'll be the, it doesn't, that's integrity, that's character. And every man of God has got to be integral. Who you are, here, you're everywhere. The other day, yesterday, as a matter of fact, Friday, I was flying back from Alaska. And I was coming back. From Alaska to Houston, Houston to Orlando, in, in that layover in Houston. No, actually, it was in Alaska. I'm walking, right? And there's a guy walking. He's going where I'm trying to go. He's coming from where I'm trying to go, and vice versa. So we're walking. And, and, and have you ever been in, 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 a, in, in, a, in a walkway where somebody's in your way and you try to move and, and you know, that little, whole little thing. So, so I'm walking. I see he's coming towards me, so I'm going to move to the right to give him the right of way. But then he moves to the right, and then I'm like, I'm going to move to the left. And so I go to the left, and he goes to the left. And, 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 and we're in that little debacle for like, for like three seconds. And all of a sudden, the guy just insulted me. He was like, come on, bro, get out the way. And, and, and you know, I'm a pastor, right? But my blood was so hot. I got so hot. I, I, I never felt, I found, out, I found out Friday what it is to be an egg being boiled. I, I, I figured that out Friday. 
because here I am trying to like, you know, make him go through. And he just insulted me in front of everybody out loud. And, and, and when he told me that, I'm, let me tell you what I did in my mind and what I did there. In my mind, when he told me that, here's what I did. In my mind, I grabbed him, I lifted him up, and I body slammed him. That, that's what I saw in my mind. I was like, Mom, <laughs> because I'm a pastor, but, you know, I, I still bleed. I, I still get upset. You know, if you step on my toe, I'm not speaking in tongues. I'm going to lay out just like you. Okay? So in my mind, I saw, I saw me body slamming this guy and then calling in the cops, uh, you know, to hit him with the sticks. And, and ha, 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 ha. That's what I saw in my mind. But what happened was, my wife was like, thank God for my wife. My wife was like, honey, 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 don't say nothing. Let it slide. And the only thing I was able to say, the only thing I was able to say that, that, that didn't take me out of character was, you move. And let me tell you, I was struggling. This, I'm a, I'll be honest. I was struggling for about 30 minutes. I was like, can you believe this guy? And my wife is chilling, playing on her phone, and, and I'm, still, I'm still envisioning the image. So now I, 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 felt like, I felt like Dr. Strange, different ways that I could handle the scenario. So I'm already, <laughs> I, I saw like a million ways that I could have solved this other than the way I did. I was, I was angry. I was upset. I was like, oh, my God, how dare this? Da, 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 da. Now, imagine, imagine if I had a body slam. Imagine if I had hit him. Imagine. And then I come here to church, love your neighbors, forgive those who offend you. I have to live who I am on the pulpit on the street. I have to demonstrate who I tell I am of Jesus here. I have to demonstrate that when nobody's watching. And you know what you call that? You call that integrity. Now, there's a difference. Listen, integrity is not being honest. You can be honest and not be integral. You can be honest and not be integral. Let me, let me give you an example. I can say, he stole that, that bottle of shaving cream. He stole it. Just because I was truth about, truthful about it doesn't mean I'm, in, I'm integral. I could, I could be honest about an issue and my character be a mess. Integrity says, integrity says, even though he stole it, I'm not doing it. I'm not changing my character will not change or waver because nobody's watching. He, listen, listen, the church is full of honest people that have no integrity. If you're integral, you'll always be honest. But just because you're honest doesn't mean you're integral. Church is full of honest people. I tell it like it is. If you don't like it, that's too bad because I'm honest just like that. That doesn't make you integral. Integrity comes at a deeper price. It's being consistent. It's being the same. It's being godly. It's being a role model. It's being the type of person that wherever you go, people can say, oh, that's a man of God right there. Whatever you do, that's a man of God right there. So a godly man is a man of integrity. Let's see recap. Godly man loves God. Godly man loves his children. Godly man, integrity. Number four, a godly man is a role model 
of God. You know what's crazy, church? That the image of God nowadays hasn't been a good one. The image of God has not been good because of the people who call, our, call themselves children of God. I know people that they said, oh, my God, when I was seven, I saw Jesus. He came in my room. He came in a big limo. And he, listen, I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen God the Father. I've never seen the Holy Spirit. I've never seen the angels or stardust. I've never seen nothing. Nothing. But I know God is real. One, because faith. Two, I saw God in my parents. I saw God in my mom. When my brother was stricken with cancer, he was about to die. And my mom's prayer for a year, consistent prayer, believing God for a miracle. And everybody is dying and everybody in the hospital is passing. And she's still there. God's going to heal my son. And she would go to every one of those kids' funeral and be there with their parents. And she said, my son ain't dying because I believe. And I never saw God, but I saw God every day. I never saw God, but I saw God in my father every morning praying, every morning seeking God, every morning loving God. I never saw God, but I saw God every day. And we're living in a world, church, where the image of God, our father, is on the floor. Because our children who look up to us do not see God in us. They see providers. They see hardworking people, and that's all good, and we all need to do that, and that's responsibility from our part. But we have to also exhibit God and our offspring. Did you know that half of the children in America grow without a father in their homes? Half of the children in America live without a father in their homes. Often abandoned by their father. Or if he's in the house, he's a bad role model. Can't be like Papa. Dad, you and I, we are shaping our children's concept of their heavenly father. That's our responsibility. That's our, listen, in the old time, in the Bible times, it was the father's role to teach the Torah to the kids. It was the father's responsibility to connect their children to God. Not the mom's job. The mom's job was to cook and, and to clean and to do whatever it is they used to do in the Middle East and ten times in the time of the Bible. But it was the patriarch. It was the father's responsibility to open the scroll and read with our kids and read with the children the Torah, the Bible. Connect them to God. That's the father's role. Dad, you're shaping your children's concept of God. And they will see you. I'm sorry. They will see God the Father as they see you. If you're a hateful person, God is a hateful person. If you're a distant person to your children, God will be distant to them. So as I close, the word of God today is challenging you to be a godly father today. And so the question is, just like you go every, I go every week to the barbershop, every week. Every Friday I go to the barbershop, every Friday. Every Friday, every week I go. And I know what I'm going to get. And I know how it's going to look. The 
because I've put my life and my hair in the hands of a barber I can trust. Who will not waver, who will not change. Who will not be something else today and something else tomorrow. He's going to give me exactly what I need every time I go into that barbershop. Your children... There's going to come a point where your children will say, I do, kiss their wives, and leave your house to never return again. So what you and I instill in the hearts of our children while they're sitting at our chair, while they're sitting at our seat, will determine... I told God, I said, God, you know, I, I know people that they're afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die, I tell you. I'm not. And my wife says all the time, honey, stop talking about that. I'm not afraid to die. But I know that I'm not, my time is not com- has not come yet. Because there's so much I have to do. There's so much I have to do. And this is why living life with purpose allows you to live life in peace. And, but my prayer has always been, God, my greatest glory that I could receive, it's not the thousands of people I, I want for Jesus. And trust me, in 30 years of preaching, we've preached all little churches, middle churches, large churches, coliseums, arenas. My glory is that when the rapture happens and the church is caught up and I stand before God that I can have my wife to my left and my three children to my right. That's the greatest gift that when I go to heaven, my children are in heaven with me. That they're in heaven with me. And their husbands and their wives, and my grandchildren standing before the throne of God, and God looks at me and says, Daddy, you did a great job, bro. You did a great job. You know how hard it is for pastors to maintain their children loving Jesus? It's challenging. It's challenging. It's, it's a headache. Let me tell y'all, not you guys, not you guys. You, I, I, I feel I'm the blessed pastor in the whole wide world. I'm the blessed pastor. I've been pastoring this church for three and a half years. We have over 1,200 people. And none of y'all have ever given me a headache in the three and a half years we've been pastoring this church. I'm the best pastor in the world, I tell y'all. I know pastors that all they do is counseling and counseling and counseling and counseling and counseling. I, I don't do counseling in this church. This is crazy. This is amazing. But some pastors, their members... Is the pastor's cause of death. The church. Pastors are dying because of church people. Counseling and counseling and this and that and stress and the other. And if, and if you don't like what I did, well, I ain't going to tithe and, and I ain't going to give and I'm leaving the church on the block. That's crazy. Listen, 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 Linda. I'm blessed that in this church, there's none of that drama. 
We don't, we don't, there's no room in this church for that stuff. But my charge to the church today, my charge to you all today, is to become men and women of God. My charge to you today is, is that we may become the type of church that leaves a legacy of paternity in our children. That we love, that we forgive, that we forgive. Listen, 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 fathers, 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 fathers. Some of us can't forgive our children because we haven't forgiven our fathers. Some of us, we haven't been able to be good fathers because we have unresolved issues. Have you ever had It's like, it's like going to the barbershop. And getting, getting half a cut. There's some men spiritually, there's some fathers spiritually that are like this right now. You have unresolved issues in your home. So this side, oh, you look like a great dad. You look like a phenomenal father. You look like a great provider. You look like a great husband. But turn around this side and there's unresolved issues. And the problem with this is, the problem with this is that an unresolved father will produce unresolved children. I'm, I'm just telling you that. That a father that hasn't dealt with issues of his past is going to drag that into his offspring. And there's so many fathers right now trying to be the best they could to the future of themselves. They still haven't dealt with the stuff of the past. So I want to submit to you today, church. Fathers, we're called to look like God. Not to look like this. We're called to replicate God. Image on the earth. But it takes a man to say sorry. One of the greatest moments I had of healing in my life between my father and I, and I love my father to death. I was 25 years old. I was married with my wife. No, 24. We were married. I don't even know how old I was. It was 25 years ago. When you hit 48, you forget everything. But anyway, I was married. We had an altercation. We had an argument. It was, it was tense. And I disrespected my father by talking back to my father. I disrespected my father. I got up. I got tough. Took my chest out. I had one hair. I whipped it out. What's, what's up? <laughs> was I right? Absolutely not. I was wrong. I broke the scripture that said, honor your father and your mother. I broke that. But here's the deal. I had no credit. My dad had no credit with me. No credit. 
Because I couldn't remember when was the first time, when was, the, when was the last time my father told me he loved me. Couldn't remember. At 25. And it wasn't until that day that we had that altercation. That in the middle of the arguing and the, and the fighting back verbally and him telling me off and I'm telling him off. That I said, you know what? You're good at telling me this, that, and the other. But you, I don't remember you ever telling me you loved me. And right there, the argument shifted. Because whenever there's honesty and transparency, there's no room for pride. And right there, I start from arguing, I start to cry. And right there, my father breaks down crying. And he said, Dad, Gabby, you know I love you. I'm like, Papa, but you never told me. And all you told me is, whatever you told me, when you're going to punish me and when you're going to correct me. But I haven't heard you tell me you love me. And my father's a great provider, man of God, and I love him. He's great. He's phenomenal. But that was my experience at, at, at tw 25 years ago. A grown man. I already had my kids. And I'm crying before my father telling him, why don't you tell me you love me? Let me tell you how powerful that moment was in my life. It was so powerful that it broke curses. It was so powerful that now I don't have a problem hanging out with my boys and, and telling my kids I love them and sharing with them why. Because I, we broke the curse that day 25 years ago. Father, Father, you cannot go forward until you resolve with your past. You can't. So are we going to live life like this for the rest of our lives? Show the side that we want to show when inside we're this way. When God is calling us, God is calling us to be godly men. God is calling us to reconcile with one another. God is calling us to another level. And so father who had no father, fathers who had no, no dads physically there, emotionally there, I'm here to tell you, don't wait for him to come to you. Go to your father. Put your pride to the side. Fathers, your sons that did you wrong, well, let them come back to me. Nobody told them, go get your son. Do you remember the, the parable of the prodigal son? The son took his money and went away and went crazy. And every day the father was in the window waiting for his son. Our pride cannot get in the way of our generation experiencing the glory of God. The challenge before us this morning is a godly man loves God. A godly man loves his children. A godly man is integral. And a godly man models the image of God to his children. So on this Father's Day, I want to pray for every father. I also want to pray for moms. 
who had to play the role of a father because father left. I want to pray for stepfathers. Listen to me, stepfather that are here. Don't you dare treat your stepchildren different from your biological children. That's your children. Love them. Pastor, that's not my kid. Okay. Joseph is not Jesus' real father. And Joseph loved Jesus as if it were his own son. How do I know that? Jesus was a carpenter. You know how long it takes to teach carpentry? He invested time. He invested his life. He poured into him. The values. You think that Jesus was born with just being humble. No. Hit Jesus at the age of five. You're going to hit you with a stick. Who taught him to love? Joseph. Who taught him the Torah? When Jesus was at the age of 12, the Bible says he went to the synagogue and he astounded the Pharisees and the scribes. Where did he got that from? His father taught him the word. Joseph, his stepfather, taught him how to read the word. See, see, and this is why, and this is why the devil doesn't mind us coming to church, fathers. He doesn't mind us coming to church every Sunday, hear a song and clap. So here's what I want to do. Everybody rise up. Everybody rise up in Jesus' name. Here's what I want to do. I told you I was going to count to three. I'm going to count right now. This is not just for fathers. This is for everybody who does not have Jesus in their heart. Today the Lord is knocking at your door. And he is telling you, would you sit down? Would you have a seat? And let me cover you. Let me cover you with love. Let me cover you with forgiveness. I know that, I know that your clothes look jacked up and you look messed up. But there's something about every time you put this on. There's something about when you sit at a barbershop. You got it? When you sit at a barbershop. Before you go to the barbershop, everybody see you. When you sit at the chair, you're covered. You're covered. You're covered. You're covered. This is what Jesus wants to do right now. He wants to cover you with his love. He wants to cover you with forgiveness. He wants to cover you with the blood of Jesus so that you can walk out this place with no condemnation. And he can trim you. And he can clean you. And he can restore you. He wants to do that right now. Right now. But you got to be willing to let him take control of your hair, your head, your life, your mind. And sometimes you're going to turn you around. Sometimes you're going to turn you around. And people don't know what God is doing in you. And it looks like nothing is happening. And it looks like there's no change. But stay in the chair. Stay in the chair. Stay in the chair. Because when God finally turns you around, the world is going to see the change, the transformation, the power, and the purpose. So I came here today. For those of you who says, Pastor, I want to be covered. I want to be covered in God's love. I want to be covered in God's mercy. I want to be a man of God, a woman of God. I want to love God, love my family, walk in integrity, 
and be a role model. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. Every eye closed, every head bow, please. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And at the count of three, I don't want you to be the first, the second one to raise your hand or the third. I want you to be the very first. You know, like, you know, like when your barber is, is, is available and there's a whole bunch of people and you want to be next? I want to be next. If that's you today, at the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand to the, like a rocket in the sky. And we're going to sit you on that chair in Jesus' name. All over this room, every head bow, every eye closed. We're going to pray. This is your cue. At the count of three, raise your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. I see one hand. We hope this message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.